Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. Book of Romans. I wanted to kind of stay within our study. I know it was a little ambitious, and you might be like, "Oh, that didn't make that didn't make a whole lot of sense." <laughs> um, hey, Ben. You see there? Just I don't need to say anything else. <laughs> the coffee's good today, isn't it? Isn't it, Church? <laughs> oh, a little inside joke. Um, but yeah, I I wanted to kind of stay on point. Uh, and continue through the book of Romans. And we're going to do so for our Easter sermon as well. We're going to stay right in line. Bless you. Um, and you've got it all. From every, Everybody was like, man, bless Pete. <laughs> um, that was funny. Um, but we're going to stay in Romans for our message next week. But today's message definitely lays the groundwork. Good to see you, bud. Uh, how was Disney? Man, isn't it though? It's the most wonderful place on earth. <laughs> Yeah, man, it really is. Hopefully they can uh, remember where they came from, amen? <laughs> Good heavens. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about politics, shall we? No, but anyway, yeah, moving on. Uh, <laughs> so uh, wherever I was at in that, this week we'll lay the groundwork, um, and that's, that's what Palm Sunday is. And, and someone was at Target this week, and they're like, hey, Pastor Matt, would you wear this shirt? Because it has palm trees on it for Palm Sunday. And I'm like, I would totally wear it. So Annie, thank you. Where's Annie at? Thank you for dressing me today. I really appreciate that. Amen. It was, uh, it's a cool shirt. I dig it. Um, but anyway, uh, this, this week we'll lay the groundwork for next week. And if you want to use the altar at the end, you're most certainly welcome. We'll have that altar time with it open. But next week, this is definitely a message that pushes the decisions to Easter Sunday. And I feel like that's what Easter is. Um, it's a moment of all of us to reflect, all of us to see what the Lord has done for us and celebrate that. And Christians, uh, evangelicals, uh, non and alike, will, will celebrate Easter all around the world. Uh, and some in different times and different genres, uh, but it's definitely a time for us to remember what the Lord uh, means to us and celebrate that. But today we'll, we'll definitely lay some groundwork, but in an unusual way, keeping within the context of Romans, building upon what we talked about last week. Um, so some of you, uh, you were like, man, I feel like there's something missing. It's because there's something missing. This is a part of a series, and I would encourage you Go back and listen to Romans all the way through. We're building on something here. We're, we're learning from the Apostle Paul a letter that he wrote to the church at Rome, which we believe is about five small house churches, probably made up of 20 to 40, somewhere in there, 20 to 40 people. And uh, Phoebe, a, a lady, read this letter aloud in those house churches. And so uh, Paul was trying to get a point across, and we're beginning to see that point uh, it's beginning to come to the surface, even through a difficult text that um, we preached through last week. Um, and I think maybe for some of you, uh, how many of you last week's perspective on that chapter was new for you? It was like kind of a, it was a little bit of a different take on the end of Romans 1. Anybody for those that were here? Okay. Uh, and if not, I, that's totally fine. Uh, I did receive some, some messages from some folks uh, outside of our church that I felt were very encouraging. Um, people that, I don't know, it, maybe saw it or it was shared and, and watched the message. Um, people that uh, are different than I am and, and have different, uh, they, they live their life in a different way and it resonated. And so I, I think that we're uh, benefiting from this, not just us, but the broader church is benef benefiting from this series. So uh, I would just encourage you to go back and, and listen to some of those other messages um, if you feel like you're missing something. Uh, but how about some, uh, just some facts about Palm Sunday. I said these last year and I think it's helpful. I'm gonna say one more word of prayer and then we'll jump in. Father, we pray that you would uh, guide our words, mine specifically, Father, our thoughts, uh, center us around your word. May every word be a word that is fitly spoken. 
uh, as Solomon said in the book of Proverbs. And, and Father, we pray that today would resonate in the hearts and minds of believers. We pray that today would be used in those that do not believe, Father, to encourage them, uh, to stir them up in their heart. Uh, we believe that we are all image bearers, uh, no matter what, from from different walks of life. And so, Father, um, this is for everyone, and, and I pray that this message would hit the heart the way you would have it to, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, down through the ages, Palm Sunday. Uh, how many have been in a church in the past where they handed out palm leaves on Palm Sunday? All right, sorry you're not getting palm leaves. Uh, I put it on my shirt and I put two palm trees up here and we put it on the screen and yeah, that's, that's about what it is. Um, if you want, you can come up and cut a piece off. Uh, just kidding, don't do that. Uh, I'd, I, I'm gonna hopefully put these outside and maybe they'll, they'll look good uh, for the rest of the season. But anyway, um, it, it has some significance and different significance for different uh, genres of faith through uh, the centuries. So thinking and considering the fact that Jesus came about 2,000 years ago, we've got about 2,000 years of history uh, to kind of uh, siphon through and, and remember and, and kind of uh, look at the historical evidence of what Palm Sunday means. So down through the ages, according to the Opus Imperfectum and ancient commentary of Matthew, my, my daughter's Latin is better than mine, so I apologize if I didn't uh, pronounce that correctly, uh, and her Latin is much better than mine. But anyway, uh, an ancient commentary of Matthew in the liturgies, the new people greet Christ as victorious king and redeemer of the world. The permanently green palm branches uh, are a symbol of life and an insignia triumphorum. Uh, they are a sign of Jesus's victory over the devil, the prince of death. Uh, Alcuin writes in forceful hexameters, the palm is the sign of your triumph, great Christ the King. The palm teaches us to conquer our flesh. The palm is a sign of our future reward in heaven. The palm branches signify Jesus' victory over the prince of death. The triumph of Christ also becomes visible in the artistic portrayals of antiquity and of the Middle Ages. They had pretty elaborate uh, programs and processionals within their churches. Uh, thus, the basic mood of these processions is an Easter mood. Palm Sunday is characterized not by lowliness, but by victory. Whereas uh, maybe we approach uh, communion on Thursday and Good Friday, which we're not having a Good Friday service this year. Uh, we have in the past, and we probably will in the future, but not this year. But uh, a Good Friday service is more melancholy and reflective and thinking through the, the, the sacrifice, uh, which is definitely the mood of uh, when we take communion and when we celebrate that, not just on Holy Week, but every week. Uh, but that's not Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a spirit of triumph, of victory. And so uh, think about that in the context or the course of Holy Week. We are on a high, uh, and then there's a lot of lows between Sunday to Sunday and how we represent what we believe to the world. Um, and then, of course, next week will be another high. You won't recognize this place. Um, I'm excited about the decor, about the message, way home. Uh, and, and we hope to offer that way home. We hope that this week will be a week where, where people are thinking, I, I need to find my place. I, I need to find my, my way home. I, I, I know that uh, much of my life is disjointed or disjointed connected, and, and, I, and I, I hope to find some, some purpose. Well, that, well, that's what this week does. But uh, starting this week out, we're on, on a high. It's a spirit of triumph. It's an Easter mood today. How many of you are cold? That's a lot. Okay, where's Mike Beard? Anybody? Or Rob? Rob is there. Rob, can you uh, turn the fans off? That remote is right inside that door. Amen. Jen and Carmen are sick today. Jen, if you're watching online, we miss you already. We miss you. Because you would have already turned the fans off. I love you. I love you. I'm just looking up here and you guys are like <laughs> shivering and husbands are losing articles of clothing. Please stop with the jackets. Wives are piling them on. And I'm like, I think people are cold today. All right. All right. We can make an adjustment. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate that. <laughs> Did you like that? Anyway, how, how is, just by way of poll, since we're polling, uh, how, was, uh, how was worship? Was it too loud? No, 
Was it just right? How many want it louder? All right, cool. The, all the metal heads. We're going to have the screamers on that end. Next week, Rob, you down? Yeah. Palm Sunday. <laughs> Y'all pray for me. I'm a mess. I really am. Uh, how was it where you're at, D? Because you're like right in front of that back speaker. Was it, it could be, it was good? Man, great job, Kyle. Give Kyle a hand. Amen. We're getting there. This week we have a shield. Next week it'll probably be in a cage, but we're, we're just trying to feel it out. But anyway. All right, where was I? Palm Sunday. We got baptisms. This is how it happens. This is how it happens. Miss Patty's like, come on. Like, stick to the script. Uh, the Holy Spirit sent her. She sent her. Greater than any, what any clock could do in the back. Miss Patty does for me on a weekly. But anyway, we have a debrief meeting, a, a post-huddle, where she's like, okay, really, it was like at 15 minutes, 49 seconds, you added about five that didn't need to be there, okay? Let's tighten it up next week, and we'll see you back right here. All right. Thank you. It's not that bad, but no, I need Miss Patty's, uh, her input. Anyway, it's a, it's a feeling of victory. And uh, we see that through elaborate, people would, um, they would make wooden horses, uh, wooden donkeys rather, to uh, kind of portray that image. And I'm sure churches across America, across the world, will have some of these processions. And at this time, open the doors and see the, bring, bring the wooden donkey in. No, just kidding, we don't have one. Uh, and then people would follow with the palm branches. Um, but also, and I wanna give this perspective, right? Because how many feel like Christians can't get along a lot? Anybody feel that way? Uh, I feel that way. Uh, so the reformers, so you're thinking about Martin Luther and that era of, of folks uh, reforming the Catholic Church or protesting Protestants. That's where that, that term comes from. People that were in Catholicism uh, that we look to for, I mean, just think about uh, what Martin Luther has, has given the church and, and the, the good things that come from that and Zwingli and Calvin and, and, uh, and Huss and, uh, or Owen, I would say. Uh, but anyway, the reformers have given us some really good things. And so the reformers, I find this interesting, protested energetically against all such practices and all processions with the palm donkey. They regarded the wooden God showered with branches, that is the palm donkey, as idolatry. And in 1522, the Zurich palm donkey was drowned in the Limit River. Luther poured ridicule on the cult of the palm donkey relics, saying that the sale of palm donkey legs was such a thriving business in Italy that the donkey on which Jesus rode on must have had five legs. I think that's interesting. Even the Catholic areas... Uh, even in Catholic areas, the importance of the palm donkey procession was diminished in the 16th century, and by the enlightened 18th century, it had almost completely died out. So what is your tradition? What is your take on how Palm Sunday should be celebrated? My point is, is whether it is, I think we should have the processions or not, that down through the ages, people have disagreed on this. Down through the ages, people have said, uh, that's not how it should be at our church. You do it at your church. And what I think is so interesting about this is where we are in the book of Romans. And what we're about to read and what we're about to study in this next part, chapter 3, we're seeing a message of inclusion. We're seeing a message, and if this is your first week, once again, go back and listen to the others, but... We're dealing with, in Rome specifically, a 10-year gap where, the Roman, where, where, yes, Rome, the Romans, exiled the Jews from their territory, and over 10 years, they've uh, trickled back in to society, and they were lower to middle class at this point. And so these house churches were filled with Jews that had a chip on their shoulder. They were still Torah-abiding. They still kept the law. And so... Uh, Paul was the missionary or the reason why the gospel came to the Gentiles. So within Rome, you have a gospel message that was spreading out uh, and Torah-abiding Jews that didn't really take the non-Torah-abiding Gentiles seriously. They were like, you are half of what I am. <laughs> and, and not just in terms of pride, right? Because here they are in oppression, here they are from a place of exile. Here they are being overtaxed, more so than some of the Gentiles. 
the oppression to keep them in check. And even more so, they internalize and they say what, what they are and who they are uh, from the beginning with Yahweh is more significant than who the Gentiles are who just decided last week they were going to follow Jesus. And that hasn't translated into any life-altering situations like circumcision or kosher foods or ritual impurity, right? So this is where this makes sense, right? This is where the dots are connected. Even down through the ages with the church, there's different levels of how we should celebrate Palm Sunday. And I'm sure if we pulled the audience and said, like, who wants a donkey procession and who doesn't, there would be disagreement in this room. Would you agree? No, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, see what I did there. But the point is, is like there's always, there's always challenge. There's always, uh, within a diverse group of people, there's gonna be differences. And so that is at the heart of what we're talking about in Romans. We're talking about a message that transcends all of our different opinions and really hits and should lodge in the heart of every believer. Does that make sense? So down that path of Palm Sunday, uh, watching the, you know, really the splintering even around that and how we celebrate it in the church, we're going to continue in that thought. So for me, for me, this is just where I'm at on it. What does Palm Sunday mean to me? I mean, and here we are 2,000 years removed from, from when he walked into Jerusalem, rode in rather on the donkey. And I know that today I'm not doing a whole lot of background and I'm, I'm approaching this message from a place that you have an understanding of what Palm Sunday is, and if, it, if you don't, it's okay. Don't, don't worry, it's all good. But uh, Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, it means, uh, I just penned a few things. This isn't the message, just introduction, but for me, number one, it signifies the beginning of Holy Week. So if you have no point of reference, what is today? What's the significance? Well, for, for this pastor, it means that Holy Week has begun. This is a week that I look forward to during the year. Some people are stoked about Christmas, and I like Christmas. Some people love Thanksgiving. I, does anybody celebrate Thanksgiving anymore? Uh, it seems to just get stomped on by like Halloween and Christmas. It's like the redheaded stepchild somewhere in between. No one does anything for Thanksgiving anymore. But anyway, everybody has like different points of view of what holidays they like. I like Easter. I like Holy Week. Um, and I think probably that's why I'm a pastor. You know, I enjoy those things. Um, but for, for me, Palm Sunday signifies that. It's like us gathering here today. It's like, let the festivities begin. I, and, and all week we're going to be finishing our preparation for Easter. And I'm going to get to see faces next Sunday. And don't take this the wrong way. We planned baptism on this day for a reason. But I hope to see all of you back here next week. And I know that Easter is Typically the biggest Sunday of the year, and some people only come on Easter once a year. All those that just do it for their parents or whatever, God bless you. I want to see you. Uh, and so I, I look forward to it every week. And so for me, it's like, let the party begin. I'm ready. I'm totally here for it. The second thing, it shifts my mindset towards the passion of Christ. Coming into this week, there is a lot of preparation going on, uh, but really here we've, we've prepared and we've made all the preparations that we're going to make. And it's at this point, uh, we're just kind of final touches. And so for me, uh, Palm Sunday is like, now I'm going to enjoy this week. Now I'm going to start thinking each day towards what the Lord is going to do in my heart and in my life this week. The third thing for me that Palm Sunday does is it shows me how duplicit we are. It shows me how duplicit we are. We uh, are hailing him Hosanna one moment and then chanting crucify him within the same week. One week we're hailing him Hosanna. We're saying hail him, right? King of the Jews with his triumphant entry. Uh, if, if anybody can find Mike or knows how to, do you know how to do the thermostats? It's still not, it's still not helping. Someone go find Mike, please. Yeah, have him turn the air off. I love it. I'm, anybody else with me? I'm like, oh, it feels so good. Usually I'm roasting up here by this time. And because I'm a little on the chilly side, I know all of you have to be freezing cold. Um, so anyway, uh, bear with us. We'll, we'll get it turned off. I thought the fans would be enough, but who's putting out less BTUs today? This is usually, it's hot. Is, that's what it is. We need all the Pentecostal fire up here that usually is here. God bless you. I think they're in Ocean City. Um, so anyway, 
think about, and this is where the somberness comes in, but for me, Jesus enters into Jerusalem on that donkey. And for those of you that struggle with your belief in, is this thing real? All of that, right? The donkey was prepared. Everything was in its place. The prophet Zechariah, like he, he said this was all gonna happen and it happened on cue and on point. Like for the whole thing, this whole week is a huge part of my faith because of the way it happened and the fact that it was foretold. I mean, you have 400 years of silence between in that second temple period between the Old and New Testament and when Jesus comes on the scene, it's like boom. It's like one after another, 33 and a half years of prophecy fulfilled. Boom, 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 boom. And at this point, it is like already ratcheted up. The engine is revved, the turbo's winding, and it takes off. And so for me, you see people that are, my point is, is they're just along for the ride in that sense. They're saying, he's our king. Bring him into Jerusalem. Let's lead him in. He is going to overthrow the government. He's going to lead us into our rightful position once again. But is that what happened? No. He was betrayed. He was murdered. And ultimately, after his crucifixion, after his death, the whole forces of darkness were like, "Uh uh-oh, what did we just do? Many miss the fact that it says that graves were opened. Jesus wasn't the only one that was resurrected on that day. His resurrection was a a trickle effect to other graves opening. The power was real. The temple veil was rent. There was a transition from them being just Torah-abiding people to now this thing is going viral. This was just a temple tabernacle thing, and now this is transitioning, Jerry, to everyone. Oh, it cut off. Everybody can relax. (laughs) So for me, I probably should have just stopped right here for the message, but that's what Palm Sunday means for me. I'm seeing the duplicity in those that saw him as their king, but watch this, but because he didn't physically rule on this earth and he decided to conquer the spiritual realm first, which is why he died, they were done with him. You're my king on Palm Sunday, but on Easter Sunday, a couple days before, you're dead to me. Even denying his existence, his own disciples, Consider that. The the duplicity in how Holy Week plays out. You you really got to find yourself in the story this week. So tomorrow as I read it, all week, I'll encourage you to do this. I'm reading that Passion Week. I'm going to be in the text, reading the story. Tomorrow I may be John. In a few days I may be Peter, finding myself as someone who doubts. But I'm going to find myself in this week, in this Holy Week. And you got to do the same thing. You have to let today be the beginning of a renewed relationship with the Lord. But, but we first see the fact that they were shouting Hosanna on Palm Sunday, a day of victory, and then they were chanting and shouting crucify him just a few days later. Can anybody track with that? I know I can. I know I can be duplicit. Let's, let's continue in our Romans series here uh, for some Palm Sunday guidance. Go to Romans chapter three, verse one. Romans chapter three, verse one. There's, there's no, there is, there's hooks in the middle of this message, what I would call like, oh yeah, that's that big truth. It happens in the middle. The end of this message should leave you unresolved. It should leave some tension today where you go, what am I going to do with that? And that's on purpose because I want you to go resolve that tension with the Holy Spirit and you with your Bible this week during Holy Week. And so that's really the, the design of this message, just to let you know. It's not structured how I would normally structure a message. But go to Romans chapter three, verse number one. And for all of you that were here last week, consider what was said coming into this week, into Palm Sunday. Chapter three, verse one says this. So what advantage does the Jew have? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Coming from the Jew being the judge or the weak one. Projecting towards the Gentile. Now remember, everything that I just described about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, Jerusalem was the hub, right, for 
the Jews to worship. During Passover, they all flocked to Jerusalem. They came from all over to celebrate Passover. That was something that was specific to the Jewish people. Does everybody track with that? So what Paul is saying here in the front, oh, we have this, there they are, there's the scriptures. So what advantage does the Jew have? What advantage does the person who crucified Jesus have? What advantage does the person who shouted Hosanna and then a few days later shouted crucify him and then uh, realized that they screwed up and carried the message of the gospel to the world after that? There's conflict between the Jew and the Gentile at this point. What advantage does the Jew have? Are we kind of tracking together? When we think about Holy Week, when we think about what Jesus endured, I want you to understand that he endured that as a Jew. And I want to show that to you. Because this brings so much significance into our study on, on the book of Romans. So what advantage, what benefit, circumcision? Here's what Paul says, considerable in every way. Interesting. First, they were entrusted with the very words of God. The Old Testament, right? Torah, the Old Covenant. What then? If some were unfaithful, will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Absolutely not. Let God be true, even though everyone is a liar. As it is written, right here in the book of Romans, that you may be justified in your words and triumph when you judge. I put right there in the program a quotation from Psalm 51.4. Against you, you alone I have sinned, this is Psalms 51, and done this evil in your sight. Watch this. So you are right when you pass, uh, pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. The point is, is that Paul is quoting the book of Psalms in this passage of scripture. He's, he does it a ton. Go to verse number five. So verse four is a direct quote from Psalm 51. Verse five, jump right in. But if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what are we to say? I am using a human argument. Is God unrighteous to inflict wrath? Absolutely not. You know, this is a question that a lot of people have. Why would God do the things that he does to the world? If a, if a God was a loving God, why would there be so much carnage and trouble? Anybody ever wonder that? Am I the only one? Okay, All right. maybe I'm by myself on that. <laughs> the point is, is look at the Bible. You're about to get your question answered. That's my point. Is God, it, can he judge? Look, it's, it's not unrighteous for God to inflict wrath. Verse five, verse six, absolutely not. Otherwise, will God judge the world? But if by my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? Look at verse eight. I read this in the New Living Translation last night, and it was actually really helpful, but the CSB is good too. Verse eight, and why not say, just as some people slanderously claim, we say, let us do what is evil so that good may come. Their condemnation is deserved. The whole world, I, I underline this in my Bible, the whole world guilty before God. The whole world is guilty before God. That's a very inclusive sentence, isn't it? So has anybody ever, there wouldn't be good in the world if I didn't have my rotten behavior. That's kind of what Paul is saying. It's inexcusable for you to say, well, if I didn't live the way I wanted to live, then there wouldn't be good people here. Paul is saying, you are condemned in your statement. You, you think that you can do whatever you want, that's not how it works. And then you're gonna point the finger at God and say, God, why are you judging so harshly? God is like, you're the one who's not good. When we wrap our brains around the fact that God can't be anything but good, God can only be perfect because he's God. We compare him to ourselves, but we are the ones made in his image. We are yet the creature, not the creator. And our creator's supreme being, Yahweh, is known in the old covenant. He is perfect. So therefore, if he ceases to judge un, uh, imperfect behavior, he ceases to be good. If he dwells and coexists with evil behavior, then he in turn is condoning the evil behavior. And for a human to rationalize that, it's like, well, you know, not everybody's perfect. You ever heard a statement like that? You ever heard somebody say, well, nobody's perfect. What are they saying? 
I'm comparing my behavior to other people's behavior. I'm comparing out. I'm saying that I'm not as bad as that guy. Paul is saying it doesn't matter where you think you are on the scale of good or bad. That's what this passage is about. And it's leading up to probably the most famous passages of scripture for the, the fact that we are all totally depraved. And if you don't believe that, what's the point of this whole conversation? He's saying nobody's good. If you're sitting here in church today and you think you're a good person, I hope that you don't leave that way. <laughs> That's a good goal to have. I'm just, I'm always doing good. I'm always making my, the world better around me. I put it into the universe, okay? Okay. You keep putting it in the universe, sweetheart. The point that Paul is making is what you're putting into the universe is tainted. You can say that it's good, but it's in comparison with other bad people. And as long as you're comparing your good to other bad people, you're bad. The term sin means uh, uh, hemartia, the Greek word, it just means to miss the mark. That's all it means. It means that when we pull the, the I, I think of a point, right, a bullseye. When I think of that term, that Greek term, it's for sin. I think of a target in the back. How many like to shoot, whether guns or archery? When, let's, let's say it's pistol. I'm pulling, my goal is to hit the what? The bullseye. In order to coexist with God equally, I would have to hit the bullseye every time. I could not miss the mark to the left, to the right, the up, the down. I would have to, James, I would have to every time connect with that bullseye. And the Bible says that we've all missed the mark. I can't get a perfect group. It's better than Kyle's. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Cheap jab, cheap jab, because I got the mic. I was waiting for him to mute it. <laughs> oh, but it, that's the goal, but it doesn't happen. Why, we're not perfect. Even in our excellence of what would be considered good, it's not good enough. We've never arrived. That's the point here. How do we arrive at Holy Week where we are getting along with other people? We realize this chapter here. Let's keep reading. The whole world is guilty before God. You have to remember the context. And for those that have been along for this ride the whole time, this is easy for you to see. But you've got weak, Torah-abiding Jews sitting in one seat going, oh yeah, we're all guilty. But I'm not as guilty as... That's what they're thinking. That's what Paul is going for. Remember last week's you, they go to the extreme. Those Gentile people, some of them are gay, right? They go to the extreme and they think to themselves because they're not that, they're better than. Paul's like, uh-uh, you're not better than anybody. If you think that your behavior is better than someone else's behavior, you have not understood this passage. If you are comfortable sitting in your proverbial high-placed, high-seat, Torah-abiding Christian and think that you're in a better place with God because you're not fill-in-the-blank, you need what's coming next. Here's what it says. The whole world is guilty before God. Look at verse number nine. What then? Are we any better off? Not at all. And some of you, I, I would say this, and this has been me too, What's the point if, if, we're, all, if we're all crappy? What's, what are we doing here? Keep going. Keep reading. And a lot of that tension isn't going to be resolved until next week, honestly. But this is, this is good tension. What then? Are we any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under what? You see what he's doing? Whether you look at the extreme or not, the point is, is everybody is what? Guilty. Some might have a tighter group on the target than others. Some of y'all, I don't want to go shooting with. <laughs> One of them, he left the building a little bit ago. And if Jose is watching this online, he's going to laugh. <laughs> it's Cody. <laughs> Anybody see those videos of people like discharging firearms before they get to the range? That's what I'm worried about with him. <laughs> I'm like, dude, watch where you're pointing that thing. Shoot. 
I'm waiting for an apology. <laughs> I was talking about Cody, not you, Mike. We can go shooting anytime, Mike. I love you. I feel safe around you. But that's what we do. We, we compare out. I got to stay, stay, stay the course here. <laughs> what then? <laughs> are we better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written. We always quote these when it comes to the gospel, but we don't quote them in context. I'm going to read these verses in context. What is the context? That whether you're Torah abiding Jew, that when everybody looks at you and on the outside you look perfect, or a partying Gentile that really doesn't care if he eats kosher or not, this applies to what? This applies to both. That's the context here. He says this in verse 10, as it is written, there are no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All are alike, have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. This describes your mother-in-law. Just kidding. Uh, bitterness. <laughs> their feet, if you're watching, I love you, Dini. I love you. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and uh, wretchedness are in their paths. And the path of peace they've not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Look at verse 19. That was a lot, wasn't it? Now we know that whatsoever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law. That's the weak. That's the Jew. So that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may be subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. That sentence is vitally important and it connects us to Galatians where it says the law is our schoolmaster. So, so really we find the purpose of the law to begin with. We, we then have to stop in the letter and we have to interject, say, Phoebe, I know you're reading this letter for us to comprehend what's happening, but I need you to stop and take a breather for a second. You just said that the law was here to show us our sin. Exactly. Torah abiding Jew, as you sit there in your pious seat, Torah abiding Jew, this is a pious Torah abiding Jew, just in case you're wondering. As you're sitting there, Understand that you don't keep that law perfect. And the fact that you don't keep it perfect is a sign that nobody's what? Perfect. At the time, at the time when you think that you've arrived in Christianity, it's time for some humble pie. At the time when you think, man, I'm doing so good. And that's fine. Look, the principles of scripture are good. The law, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. Scripture says in Psalms, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. But at that point that you think it's you acting on those principles, you got a problem. And that's what was happening. I don't want to coexist with these people. Shoot. They're not even circumcised. First of all, it's weird. It works every week. We have a problem in the church because we're at all different levels and we judge through the same eyes. And the world doesn't come in here because the world thinks they're not good enough and that we all think that we're better than them. Palm Sunday is about seeing the duplicity for me. It's about saying, he's my king, Hosanna, Hosanna, but remembering that I'm the one who's going to crucify him here in a few days. And if we got good theology, that's bad English, but good theology, if we understand Romans 3, we realize that Paul was going right after those Torah-abiding Jews. And he's saying, you think because you keep Torah, you're better than them. I got news for you. What that, remember? Oh, I think you've forgotten. I think you've forgotten. The fact that you didn't keep your promise. The fact that the, the Jews were exiled how many times into captivity? How many times did you say and claim a promise to God and you broke it? Let's keep going. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8 and 9. I love this passage. I don't have time to expound on it, but it says this. 
When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance and divided the human race, he set the boundaries of peoples according to the number of people of Israel. But the Lord's, in in the Hebrew, it's Yahweh. But Yahweh's portion is his people, Jacob, his own inheritance. What I want you to see here is the Lord chose Israel as his portion. The nation through which he would reveal himself to the world. But because they were the elect, they thought they were better than. Just because God chooses to use you, don't you think you're something special? Because in this context of the world, you're still a sinner. And if anything, the law should show you more so that you're a sinner because you have the context of Scripture. Christians should be more humble than the people of the world. Why? Because has anybody, has anybody executed on the commandments of this book perfectly in here? Anybody? I'd like to know. Then you can have my spot, please. It doesn't exist. The Lord calls broken people to do his will, to do his work. Why? Because he's the one who's actually doing it, not the vessels. We're pouring him out, not ourselves. And when we get that backwards, we get screwed up. And that's what Israel had done. Listen to this. John 1, 10 through 15. He was in the world. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, Torah abiding Jew, his own, specific group of people. But his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten son of the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus said, when I came, I came to you for the world. Here's the thing. Deuteronomy says that he chose these people as his portion to deliver his son to the world. This is something that we deal with in the church, and we all deal with this, and I I want you to see this. When God equips you and blesses you with certain gifts and abilities, you can't let that stop with you. When God selects you and elects you and says, I have a purpose for you, I have a plan for you, and when you execute on that plan, you can't let those feelings go, I did that. I killed it. Check me out. You're about to be a weak Torah-abiding Jew. That's where you're headed. But if we internalize the message of Romans chapter 3, we realize that there is none that doeth good, no, not one. We realize that there is none righteous. We realize that God elected and came unto his own. His own received him not, but as many as to become the sons of God. Not by the will of flesh, not by your ethnicity, not by your color, not by your creed. He came so that the world through him might believe. He wants to use you to reach the whole. But he can't use you to reach the whole when you think you're better than the whole. Romans 3, 1 and 9 state that the Jews have all, they have all the advantages, but they're not better for it. And boy, have I seen this in the church. What good is it to be of the circumcision? Paul is like, you had the advantage. If you were paying attention in Torah school, you would have realized why you were doing what you were doing. It was all to point to a coming Messiah. But you fell in love with the ritual instead of the God of the ritual. And we fall in love with church attendance rather than who we're supposed to be worshiping. And that's why people aren't faithful. They're not faithful because they've forgotten why they should be here and why they should gather. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, but I just do it when when I can. (laughs) Oh, Oh, goodness. Don't miss this. Here's the crux in the middle of the message here. Four minutes will be done. I mean it, I mean it. I took my glasses off so that I couldn't see her reaction. I mean it, I really mean it. Oh man, it was a cold look. I need 10 seconds for an intermission. (laughs) About spilt it all over me. Sorry, Annie, got it on my palms. Don't miss this. The wonderful thing that Romans is teaching us that is so significant on this Palm Sunday is this. Jesus had everyone in mind when he rode that donkey into Jerusalem, not just the Jews. He had, yeah, he came to Jerusalem, but he had the world in view when he came. 
Deuteronomy 32 says that he chose exclusively the Jews, but he, he chose them for a purpose. And the purpose was for the whole world. We, this transcends Romans 3 tells us that what he did transcends culture and race and transcends cities and ethnicities. He came for you and for me. 2,000 years later, this message is relevant. That's what Paul's teaching tells us. That's why I love Paul. I'm going to say it again. The wonderful thing that Romans is teaching us that is so significant on this Palm Sunday is that Jesus had everyone in mind when he rode that donkey into Jerusalem, not just the Jews. If this is true, now here's where the, that was like the donkey. I don't know why that happened. <laughs> if this is true, then we can't just take advantage of the blessings. We also have to take responsibility for the tragedy. If this is true, he had the world in mind. John 3.16, for God so loved the, what's that mean in the Greek? The world. <laughs> the Lord loved you. He came for you. But if that's true, we know how that ends. They go, Hosanna, to crucify him. If God came for you, if Torah abiding Jew, weak, and the strong Gentile, are the same according to Romans 3, then that means we are complicit in his crucifixion. crucifixion. We are complicit in the tragedy as much as the celebration. Have you thought about that? He's my king, he's my, and we stay there. In our context, we're Americans, right? Like we have it all at our fingertips. It's all so easy for us to ignore what's happening in the rest of the world when they're persecuted for his namesake. It's so easy for us to just get stuck in our, you know, Christianese and in our rut and what God's doing through us and through our ministry, and it's so difficult, right? But if we're going to see that he was, in, he was including us, and God is all about uh, inclusion and not excluding us because we didn't abide by the Torah, if that's the truth, then we have to also understand that it was our sin that put him on the cross just as well. We have to also see that we were complicit in the tragedy that will take place in a few days. Rather than pointing the finger at, yeah, you Jews did it. You crucified him. If you want to be included in the family of God, you not only, <laughs> you not only have a conquering king, you also were the reason you put him on the cross. You understand what I'm saying? That's the weighty part of this. Here's some fun things here. The Old Testament shows us a pattern of the Lord leading his people through imperfect prophets. Do you see that? Exodus 19, three through eight, it says, Moses went up into the mountain and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. Remember God chose them, Yahweh chose them as his portion. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you uh, to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me, here's the goal, right? R remember, we're to also connect ourselves to the Old Testament, not unhitch ourselves from it. Triumph and tragedy, triumph and tragedy. Now, if you will carefully listen, keep my covenant, you will be my possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. You see it right there in the Old Covenant, what his dream was, what he envisioned. And you will be uh, my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. These are the words that you will say to, to, to the Israelites. After Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people, set, them all, uh, set before them all these words that the Lord commanded them. Then all the people responded together, we will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. Did they do it all? No, that's when he, he did the Ten Commandments. What I want you to see, though, is in verse 3, it says, Moses went up into the mountain. Matthew 1, 5 through 2. When he saw the crowds, Jesus went up, up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he began to teach, saying, and then what follows next is the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus started his earthly ministry, I saw this this week, and author Carmen Iam showed me this through her book, Bearing God's Name. Jesus, through his earthly ministry, was mimicking what the prophets did. 
Moses went up into the mountain to receive a word from the Lord. Jesus went up into the mountain to give the word of the Lord. Why? Because he was the embodiment of the law. He didn't need them to be Torah-abiding citizens because he brought them the real, living, breathing Torah to them and said, I embody what Moses received. If you are a Jew, you think through tradition you're receiving something that makes you better. I am the better. The Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, the most important uh, work of art as any pastor would give his sermon, the first one in his ministry, was him signaling to every force in this entire universe that the law is here. I embody the teaching that you've been trying to do and failing at. I'm here. Receive me. Blessed are the fill-in-the-blank. What the prophets were showing, what they were trying to do, Jesus what? Did. Man. Gives me chills. So what we see is the Lord chose to use men even though they were imperfect. We see that the Lord's decision required more than man could pay. And we see that the Lord revealed Jesus to the word, (laughs) revealed Jesus uh, to the world as Yahweh in the flesh. In the Old Testament, over and over, there is a pattern of failure, exile, and wishful thinking, Romans 5, 8, but God. This week, I would encourage you to read Jesus' earthly ministry. What is Paul reiterating in chapter 3? We are all in need, but we all have access. We are all in need, but we all have access. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're getting baptized today, go ahead and slip out and get your t-shirts on, and get ready to roll. We're going to have a quick invitation. Amen. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments. Send us a message and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week and God bless.